o leyentes. Bienvenidos a Below the Radar, a Knowledge Democracy Podcast. Below the Radar is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Mi nombre es Fiorella Pinillos. And I'm Melissa Roach. For this episode, we're joined by Adriana Contreras, a visual artist, communicator, and graphic recorder, whom we've had the pleasure of working with at SFU while she was the marketing manager for SFU Woodward's cultural programs. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, and welcome to Below the Radar, and welcome to our colleague and friend, Adriana. Would you like to maybe introduce yourself a little bit and say where you're coming from? Thank you so much, Melissa and Fiorella, for this invitation. My name is Adriana Contreras. I'm a first-generation immigrant. I'm a visual artist, graphic recorder, visual communicator, and just a big enthusiast for arts and culture. I was born in the lands of the Muisca people, which is known as Bogota, Colombia. And I migrated with my whole family when I was 15 years old. Let's leave it at that for now. <laughs> Adriana, your story is so inspiring. Just hearing about the role of art in your migration story. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that played, art played a role in connecting you with a sense of place? When I moved to this land by the by the Seleucid with with my family. Um, as I was saying, I was 15 years old, so it's a very volatile time. Uh, teenage years are not easy, and then encountering a new landscape, a new way of life, a new language, a new education system, like all these things that kind of came together all at the same time. It was very confusing. We arrived in the summer. We arrived actually July 1st. And we were living in, a, in an apartment uh, on the West End. So everything felt like a bit of it, like a vacation. Then we moved to Burnaby. And then once September hit, it was time to go to school. Reality hit. Oh, this is for real. We're not going back. This is, this is our life now. Growing up in Colombia, I was very... I liked my school very much. I liked what we did. I liked everything. It was something that really impacted impacts who I am now. Like the time at school in Colombia impacts who I am. And, and so that transition was harder than I had expected. So when I was choosing my courses, I, I was very conscious to choose a lot of art-related classes because it was, some, it was something that I could at least understand. It wasn't like I, I could understand English, but I wasn't very fluent. This was something that I could be good at, or I could feel that I was succeeding at something when everything else was kind of failing. Like the sciences weren't working so well because I couldn't understand the terminology and all these other things were going so well, but the arts were something where I could just go sit and relax and let it all out in a visual way. And I've been lucky to count with really amazing art instructors from the beginning. I think about them a lot because they were the ones who who could see past the language barrier to see who I was and what I could bring out and what I could express. And they, they really uplifted that for me. And so that kind of made me want to pursue the arts after I finished high school. So I went into, into doing my studies at SFU at the School for the Contemporary Arts, but I've also had a lot of support from my parents. And I think all of us in our family went to a, to something in the arts as a way of rooting ourselves in place and understand where we landed, understand 
the geography understand where we where we are because of what I was just saying about the like being able to express ourselves in a different way that it didn't require the language, but also because of the connections we made, the people we met who could see us for who we were. And we created a like really strong network of support through instructors and other artists and people who also want to imagine a different world. And I think that's the magic of it. You didn't have to talk so much. The connection was beyond words. I don't know how to really, how to explain it, but it's something where you look at the other person or you see the movement or you talk about a form of dance, you share music and the connection is there. And I think that's why it's been so important. The friendships that we form and that network of support has really been around the arts and cultural events and cultural spaces. I love that. It's that's super beautiful. For for me, it was a little bit the same. You know, I totally relate with what you're saying. What, me as an immigrant, art and dance was what really connected me with this new place. Definitely the, the relationships that I formed through art and through dance are still the strongest friendships I have. It's amazing what art can do. Yeah, I love what you're saying about having those few instructors who it's so important to have those, especially when you're a teenager, as you said, like teenagers being a teen is a hard time. It's a really hard time. But having instructors that really see you and to have that like happen through your own art, that's that's really incredible. You mentioned dance. We know you're you're a dancer and you love dance and um, you like work, worked in the dance world too, like with new works and uh, when you were with SSU Woodward's Cultural Programs. But uh, can you share with us where your love of dance comes from? I'm, I'm sure it stems out of a lot of what you just shared, but uh, can you share a little bit more? Yeah, I grew up with a family that likes to dance. And I think it's also just cultural with a lot of families in Colombia. When you have a party, dance is part of what a party is. So you have your gathering, but then the music plays and people just get up and dance and that's just essential for it. Like even the way you lay out the room for a party, you have a dance floor no matter what. So I think that, that <laughs> started from there. And I have a very vivid memory of, uh, of like being probably like five years old and there was a party at our apartment and I went over to my dad, you have to teach me how to dance. So like, And then my cousins were teaching me how to dance, but it's, yeah, so it was something in, in me. I really wanted to do it. And then I, I did some training like with ballet when I was very little. And then my school that I was mentioning, it, it was a school, I can say that it's super long. It's called <laughs> Centro Educativo Integral Col Subsidio. I don't know if I want to call it an experiment, but it was like something where they that whoever came together to put together this school, they wanted to try something new. So they, they, the way they designed the school the playgrounds, the connections of the buildings, the hallways, um, the connections like the outdoor and the indoor. And the curriculum had a lot of arts in it. So we had twice a week for sure we had art classes and we could also choose between music and dance. And so I always had dance classes as my weekly routine within the school curriculum. And then when I moved to Canada, that was something that was lacking. And I tried a few things, but it's like, oh, no, I don't move like this. This is not what I'm used to. I don't understand this music. What is going on? <laughs> and um, so I left it for a long time and, and, uh, and I missed it. And then in my mid-20s, after 
a bad breakup and being super sad. I was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I just signed up for a, a friend invited me to a contemporary dance class. And, uh, and I was not good at it, but I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. And I just kept going and I stick with it for almost three years. Um, so I was dancing with Desiree Dunbar and Star Dance. And I also got to dance with Vanessa Goodman and a lot of artists that I've got to work with later on. So it was an opportunity for me to connect with my body and have something to look forward to every week. And from there, I realized that I was, well, I already knew this, but I was like, this is my entryway to something that I've always wanted to do and is be part of the performing arts. So I'll backtrack a little bit. My training is in the visual arts. Visual arts, contemporary arts, art history, and a lot of my emphasis was in Latin American art. But I was getting lonely in the studio. Like, I want to do something else. I want to do something that involves other people in the collaboration, in the creation. Being part of a, a dance collective opened new doors for me or made me realize that I could be applying for jobs in the performing arts, something that hadn't occurred to me. So um, a position came up with New Performance Work Society to do marketing and promotions. And I'm like, I'm going to apply for this. And and it worked. <laughs> so I, I, I was part of the nonprofit for a few years and a job that began as a marketing and communications role turned into curation and coordinating events. And that opened so many more ways of connecting with community and also rethinking what I could do. That's incredible. I, I, I love the I first time. Going back, I love that every party is a dance party. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, you know what, Adriana, the first time, um, the first time that I saw Adriana was for one of the performance uh, of New Works. And I just saw you presenting that, presenting this flamenco show. And you were just, you know, out there, out front of this audience and saying, yeah, my, number, my name is Adriana Contreras and presenting with your beautiful accent. And I've always been terrified of being in front of public, talking with my accent. And, and you were doing that. I was like, oh my God, I just want to be her. <laughs> oh, but yeah, anyways, that was my first memory of, of you. I didn't even know you, but I knew, okay, like uh, this is someone that I want to meet. <laughs> I remember that show, Raiz Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both of you, for me, like both of yours, love of dance has been like infectious for me. And I, I never really used to go see dance live. I didn't know how magical it was until uh, Adriana invited me to New Work shows. It's just mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Adriana, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about? the connection between arts and social change and or art and community and social change and how do you what have been your experiences with that I think the fact that my connection to art changed so drastically when I moved here as that kind of lifesaver or something that I could hold on to so tight and I knew how important it was I started to to see other things around the impact of art in society as a whole but I think Something that did impact me quite a bit was going when I was in university and the teachers that I had in university. So I had the pleasure to study with Carmen Rodriguez, who was leading the Latin American studies with an emphasis on, on arts and culture. And so we were learning, I was learning about Latin America from a very different point of view and learning a lot of history that I had never learned before but learning about it from the standpoint of the resistance that happened through the arts. So a lot of the artists that 
had to live and were exiled for so long, artists who lost their lives in the battle for social justice in Latin America. And so that really guided a lot of my interest on wanting to learn more, but also understanding that art cannot be neutral. You, you, you make a choice with your art, you make a choice of where, where you want to take it and the message that you want to give. So it's not trivial. Is not unbiased ever. Like you, you make a choice when you're creating your artwork, and you there is a message that you want to send. And so, with that power, comes a lot of responsibility of what it is that you want to express, and who are you bringing into the conversation, and also who are you leaving out if you are not conscious of what you're creating. And I think that also guided my choices on the work that I pursued. For many years, I worked at the gallery at SFU, which also gave me access to understanding collections and what is curated, what comes into museums, what comes into galleries, what's kept, what stories are, are held dear and which ones are missing and what is, the, what is the responsibility of curators to also ask those hard questions. And then the choice of working with New Works was also the fact that the priority for the organization was to make dance accessible to everyone. So there was this priority of making things not expensive so that people can access it, because that is something that, that I noticed a lot when I moved here was that accessing performances or cultural spaces or courses, even like training for the arts is expensive. And for me... I mean, that's that's a very huge disservice to society as a whole when you are starving people of expressing themselves and connecting with others and just seeing the range of expression that we have. So I think I've been very deliberate of where I've worked and the work that I support and also the spaces where I where I want to be to make sure that the arts are recognized for that important service and that, that important place that they have in society and to, to make us think of, of new ways of being and imagining in other futures. Yeah, you're, you're reminding me of another uh, point of like tension or, or not conflict, but thinking about um, like access. And I know that some new works really like prioritizes that in their ethos and uh, for that reason like a lot of the artists they invite are like I see them like emerging artists but I just think about like uh, emerging artists are really ones who just haven't had their artist status codified by an institution yet yeah yeah exactly Absolutely. <laughs> and there is also a limitation with age when it comes to the idea of emerging artists because a lot of artists who maybe they're just starting their career because they just couldn't do it before for many reasons. Uh, family responsibilities, um, access to anything, anything. Like there are so many reasons why you might start your career later in life. I find it so heartbreaking that it has like an age limitation that you can only be emerging up to a certain age or like that, that, that that's the expectation. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm going to quote our, our friend Carla, Carla Bergman. She she said to me before that like it, it doesn't make sense to have you go from un- emerging to not emerging. She says, like, we're always emerging in different yeah. ways as we try new things. That was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. As you're talking about, um, you know, the connection and between arts and justice and how you, how it shaped how you 
chosen where you want to work in your career. Uh, it'd be great if you could tell us about what you're doing now, because that all seems like uh, so solidified in your work now with drawing change. So uh, I'd love to hear about your journey uh, in becoming a, a graphic facilitator and, and how you came to be doing this work. Yes, this this year has been really interesting too because that has been in my mind a lot, how like all my worlds came into one, <laughs> into this new practice that I am diving into. So in, in 2018, uh, my colleague and friend Karina Nielsen told me about the opportunity to, to be a community scholar with the organization Drawing Change, which is led by Sam Brad. And with Drawing Change, we... We're visual practitioners, we're graphic recorders, illustrators, uh, visual storytellers. We work to take ideas that are complex and, and express them in a different way to help people make those connections and understand them. I wouldn't say better, but to see them from a different point of view. So I applied to be a community scholar with Drawing Change and I was accepted and I was thrilled to be invited to be part of, um, of that program. I didn't know what exactly it was going to entail. So it meant that I received training with Sam. That was uh, the fall of 2018. And then just an incredible amount of support from the organization to, to continue practicing, to continue creating my portfolio, to break those barriers that I had in my mind that I couldn't do it like the persistence of support from Sam asking me month after month, do you feel ready? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do graphic recording? Show me what you've been doing. And it took me a while, but in the spring of 2019, I was like, okay, I'm ready. So we put together a small portfolio and, and from there, a lot of opportunities have come for me to, to come to spaces, to listen, to graphic record to make connections to support important work that is that is very close to my values. So I've had a opportunity to work with organizations that support migrant workers. I've done a lot of work um, in the field of education, mental health. I've also worked with indigenous organizations and the range is huge. Work that does research on climate change and just transforming how we relate to land and all, like what I was saying before, all, all my worlds kind of collapse into one in a really good way because the work that we do with graphic recording requires us to listen deeply, which I feel I've been practicing my whole life. <laughs> I've always been told that I'm too quiet, that I don't speak enough. And it's like, well, it's because I listen. I, I like to listen to stories. I really like to pay attention to what people have to share. So that was one big part of it. Uh, but also graphic recording is a very embodied exercise where you are listening with your whole body and those experiences that are being shared in the room I can feel them come through me and especially when we work large scale on paper uh, we're standing up in front of this bigger like larger board so the relationship to paper is different than working a smaller scale on the desk where you you feel your your body moving um, as the as those words are coming through so there's some, a little bit of that dance aspect of it and also a performance aspect because we're doing this in front of people. So it is it is a very different relationship when other people can be there to see and react on the moment to what we're creating, to what we're putting together. We're listening to their words and we want to amplify their messages so they get to see that as well. And that really helps to, to fuel 
conversation in a different way or to feed, it's a better word, it's a nicer word, to feed conversation in a better way, to nurture and to uphold what people are saying so that they feel seen in that moment. Um, so that the words that just don't stay up in the air, they land somewhere and they, they're planting seeds. And a graphic recording is almost like you're taking a, a snapshot of the moment and capturing some of that energy that was built in that moment. And we can remember who we were at that moment. We said this, we made these commitments, and this is what we're dreaming. It's a good way of remembering what, what we want to achieve so that it doesn't dissolve over time. That's amazing. And you've also done some of these graphic recording in Spanish. I have, yeah. And that was very interesting for me because I I, I feel that it, it is different for sure. It's a it's a it's a different part of my brain that is working. It's a different part of my body that is <laughs> that is being that is being kind of lit up. Like there's yeah. a different spark, there's a different memory. It's super interesting. And the the first one that I did in public was for a speaking tour of a women's organization from Colombia that happened here. And then the second one was for the Columbia Truth Commission. And so it's also a topic that is that I know because I grew in, grew up in Colombia, but it's also new because it's a we're we're imagining what peace can be like. And it's also very emotional, but it's also hopeful. So it's like everything in one. But yeah, it is very interesting to work in different languages for sure. And and I've been also analyzing a lot how translation plays a plays a role in graphic recording. And I'm still at like the beginning of this analysis or this discovery of, of what that is, because it, it plays a huge role. The type of imagery we choose is not obviously understood across contexts and across languages. So I love this work because it's it's an endless learning. It's like there is so much to learn every single time that we're invited to do graphic recording for an event, for an organization. Yeah, there's just so many questions that are also always being sparked during the moment and afterwards and the connections that just keep on growing. And then you start to see patterns emerging from what you hear in one space. And it might be a completely different topic in another meeting, but very similar hopes and dreams and, and, and also challenges. It has transformed a lot of how I move in the world, for sure. The, but the graphic recording has changed drastically um, since the pandemic. How yeah. have you adapted to this new reality? Um, I think we're still adapting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we, so in at the beginning of the spring, so when the lockdown began and everyone was trying to figure out like, what's going on in the world, a lot of work stopped and then it picked up again with a lot of force in the summer. Um, I think when, when everyone learned how to deal with Zoom, how to manage the virtual spaces, and when we realized that this is like this is gonna last longer than anyone expected. So I started to work digitally using um, an iPad and projecting the canvas when we do virtual events. But I've also tried to keep the option of working on paper. Uh, because I do feel that is it brings a different connection both to people who are at the event, but also for me to take a bit of a break from sitting in front of the screen to do something that is physical because 
it's been reduced obviously a lot um, how much I do on like large scale and on paper. But digital has also opened a lot of doors to exploring the use of color, to using, like to doing digital collaging, to do like all these different things that you can do because the options are endless, the type of tools that you can use. But in itself, like the, the listening is still there. It, I, I find it a bit more challenging sometimes because in in physical spaces, you, you not only hear the conversation, but you feel the presence of people and there is an energy that is there. There's also an approachability where people will come over to my board to see what I was doing and ask me questions or even leave me little notes like, oh, can you please add something else? So that aspect of that interaction is, is lost. And we're still having this conversation with my colleagues of how are we adapting to this new, to this new way of working? And how is it transforming the field? And it's it's a very, we're in the very early stages of these conversations and this introspection of, of how we, yeah, how we're looking at ourselves. Like the, the work that we do always asks us to be like self-reflective, but this situation is asking us to be even more self-reflective because we have to talk about everything else. Like we have to take into, into account just how much our tools have changed and I was listening to uh, Heather Martinez is, um, is a graphic recorder and a lettering teacher um, that I've been studying with as well. And yesterday I was listening to a podcast where she was talking about her work, but she was talking about like how we listen when we're sitting in front of the computer with the iPad that we hear from the top of our heads. Like when we're graphic recording in a space, we're hearing with our backs because people are behind us. Mm-hmm. And when we're listening and working in front of a, of a screen, we're listening with our heads and the top of our heads. And she was talking about how can that bring us back to this sense of like being in school and like what our memories of school are and how that, and I had never thought, like I hadn't thought of that before. And I'm like, wow, there, there's so much to explore there on like our like kinetic memory and embodied experience. So I think there is a lot with graphic recording that is so close to dance that is like, this is the perfect the perfect uh, transition for for my life (laughs) oh that's so interesting yeah I love you've you've described before how it feels like it it is a a form of performance when you're in the room with people or even I guess when you're sharing your screen you're performing to people and it's interesting because when when you're on screen and you're when you're projecting what you're drawing it's different because people are used to seeing images on the screen right we're all so it's it's very different it's um it's almost like you're broadcasting rather than you're performing it's it's a uh, I don't know if the expectations are different like it's it, it is for sure a huge question I think we're still grappling with what it means I wonder like this role of art in your immigration story is there still a role for art in your immigration story is this still true what you told us at the beginning I think for me, for sure, it's, it's still very present every day. And something that came up for me when the lockdown started with COVID-19 is that like we lost a lot of contracts. That contracts were delayed at the start of the, of the spring. There was uncertainty for, for, for everyone about what was going to happen. And for anyone working freelance, like, you didn't know what was going to come. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then... It was incredible for me and it was wonderful that a lot of the people who reached out to me to offer me work were dancers and artists that I had worked with before. 
And it was like, wow. I had I thought that once I left the arts organization, those relationships would start to disperse. And it was like the complete opposite. It's like, oh no, we're here and, and we we see what you're doing and we want to stay connected. And that was very humbling and very powerful. And it just made me feel so happy that that I can, could count with that. So that just re- reminded me of that network exists and is still being fed by all of us. Like if, if we as artists and creators support each other, we can get through through the hard times for sure. Like it, it's, it's difficult. I know it's really hard for everyone right now. And we don't know when theaters will reopen. We don't know what funding is going to be like in the new year. But I know that people are taking care of each other a lot and new creative ways of, of, um, of working, of creating income has have come out. I don't know, like the organizations that are doing well, they're able to support others and they have made that effort to do it. And, and I especially think a lot about Vines Festival and the great work they've been doing always, but also, but especially this year, like switching roles and, and jumping into to support people to just do things like get their taxes into place so that they can apply for CERB and other things. It's like, they don't have to, but they're doing it. And, and, and it's incredible for me that, that we take on those roles to support each other because that's that's what matters. Like we we need to put on that work to to make sure everyone is okay and we can continue doing our work because we, we don't want our our arts community to to disperse or or disappear because those because of the situation we're going through right now. That's so lovely. That's like a beautiful note to end on. Like yeah. community and support and staying connected through all of this beautiful muchísimas gracias Adri por por estar con nosotros en Below the Radar ha sido un gusto muchas gracias thank you so much for inviting me it's it's very lovely to be here with you and and, um, yeah very honored thank you so much Below the Radar is a knowledge democracy podcast created by SFU's Fan City Office of Community Engagement. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Adriana Contreras. Visit the links in the show notes to learn more about her work. Below the Radar is on Twitter at BTR underscore pod. Like and subscribe to never miss an episode. Gracias y hasta la próxima. Mm-hmm.